first Sunday of 2024, and I get to preach the great news of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, and particularly from Mark 1, 14 and 15, which reads like this. Now after John the Baptist uh, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel of God. And he was saying the time is fulfilled, the reign of God is at hand, repent and believe in the good news and the gospel. Now back in the fall of 2008, when our small group of people were praying about planting a church in response to God's call to plant a church, Mark 1, 14 and 15 emerged as our Zerah verse, which that word Zerah is a Hebrew word that means seed or you know, kind of core. It's it became the core of our identity as Lettered Street's Covenant Church. It's, it's, it's how we have learned to understand our reason for being as a church, as a local church, and uh, the hope that we have in the world. It, it kind of stems from this Zara core seed verse. And in these two short verses, we see what the gospel is according to Jesus in its most simplistic wording. When Jesus speaks of the gospel, which literally means good news, um, he's referring to the fact that the reign of God has come near, that the reign of God is breaking into time and space and place as we know it. Now, of course, there are thousands of implications of how that affects your life when the reign of God is breaking in in the, in the, in the space and the place and the time in which we live. But I just wanted to notice what's not there in Jesus's proclamation. Even though there are thousands of different implications of what it means to live that way, notice that Jesus does not lead with a list of moral and ethical standards in his proclamation. He doesn't call us to a religious system. He doesn't give us a litmus test kit from heaven that you're supposed to have and then use that to to test other people and to judge them on their level of faith or their level of commitment to, uh, to our movement, right? No, the good news according to Jesus is that with his presence in the first century AD when he was incarnate, when he was born and and then started ministering sometime in in, in his uh, uh, 30s, uh, it's, it's that the reign of God has come near, that God has been made known like an epiphany. It's Epiphany Sunday, imagine that. And the good news has been helpful for us as a church to understand ourselves because... It is so tempting as human beings and as human beings in a church, it is tempting to construct elaborate theological systems that start off noble with the best intentions but end up separating people into groups of this and that and others. And It's tempting as humans to want to build barriers and walls and our own stuff on top of the gospel. But what we've tried to do as a church is to live out of a way of following Jesus and interacting with our neighbors um, that, that assumes Jesus is telling the truth about the reign of God, that anticipates regular evidences of the reign of God breaking in in our world around us, and that gives us reason to hope that even when the world seems like it's on fire, when our personal faith might be weak, and when it feels like life is unbearably difficult, that core verse, the 
the announcement of the reign of God coming near is something we can put all of our weight on and gives us hope. The good news of the inbreaking reign of God has nothing to do with your performance as a Christian or as a human. It has nothing to do with my performance as a preacher or a pastor or a dad or a husband. It has nothing to do with our earning, with our level of faith. The good news according to Jesus in Mark 1, 14 and 15 is that he is announcing a fact The reign of God is at hand. The reign of God has come near. No caveats, no nuance, no conditions. Now, in order to best understand what Jesus is saying in Mark 1, 14 and 15, it's important first to get a grasp, at least partially, of how Jesus' original audience would have heard those words. What does it mean? What did it mean that the kingdom of God or the reign of God had come near? Now, I have preached, if you've been at Lettered Streets a long time, uh, we've been a church for 15 years, I have probably preached this passage at least 10 times and talked about it lots more times. And so there are other sermons in the sermon archives online where I go way deeper into the historical context and if that's something you're just like, I want that, go for it this week, you can listen to all 10 of them probably somewhere buried in the archives. Um, What I'm gonna do is give give us a briefer context. Um, Some of you are like, whew, okay. Um, But I I just kinda wanted to talk about the two ways that that word gospel and reign of God would have been understood by first century hearers, especially first century Jewish hearers, okay? So in in the Greek language, and that's what Mark is written in, it's written in Greek. In the Greek language, there is this word called euangelion. Let's all say that together, euangelion, okay? That word is translated as gospel or good news, okay? Um, It's a, there it is, it's a Greek word, euangelion. And it comes from two main sources. The first source that's, that's relevant to this passage is um, that in the Hebrew scriptures, which sometime in 70 BC, they were, tra- or they were translated into Greek. And, and so uh, you have all of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament translated into Greek. That's probably what Jesus and his disciples were working with. And and in those scriptures, like in Isaiah 40, for example, God tells the prophet Isaiah to comfort the people of Israel who are in captivity in Babylon, right? And and he says to comfort them with the word euangelion, with the gospel, with the good news. And, And here is what the good news is in Isaiah 40. The euangelion is that God is going to come dwell among his people and that he is going to become king. Not these crazy kings like Nebuchadnezzar, not the, the, the evil corrupt kings even of Israel's history, but God is gonna come dwell with his people and he's going to reign. Okay, it's what's known in, in the prophets. If you ever read, um, like in the Old Testament, you hear this phrase a lot, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, right? That's what is known as the day of the Lord, when God would come and dwell with his people and reign, right? It's a time or an age that when fulfilled would come into history and change the whole course of history or fulfill the course of history. That's what euangelion meant in the the Bible, that that Jesus' hearers would have understood, okay? Okay. 
So in this case, the good news is fulfillment of this story that the people were, were living in, reading in their own worship gatherings, and, uh, and hoping for. Uh, and Jesus, what he is saying then, if you're a first century Jewish person who knows Isaiah 40, and you do, and, and Jesus says, hey, the time is fulfilled. The reign of God has come near. Repent and believe in this euangelion. I mean, this is amazing. Jesus is saying that in his person, all of those promises are beginning to take place. So that's, that's massive. That's one meaning uh, that people would have uh, uh, understood when Jesus is proclaiming the reign of God, okay? There's, a, there's another term, though, that's very relevant to first century Palestine because first century Palestine, where Jesus was born and ministered, was under Roman occupation. And to the Romans, that word euangelion was a, actually a technical term. Uh, and and, and here's, what, here's what it meant. Um, whenever a new emperor was born in Rome uh, or rose to power or took power, however you want to rewrite history, um, runners were dispatched from Rome to all the provinces and places that the Roman Empire owned or, or occupied, right? And these runners would go out and they would proclaim, they would run like if you were a town, they'd be running down the road and the euangelion, I have the euangelion, and they would proclaim this message. Today, behold, Caesar Augustus is raised to power. He's the emperor, right? And, and actually, when Jesus, he was born when Caesar Augustus was emperor, but, uh, but around his late teens, Augustus died, and Tiberius Caesar rose to, the, uh, to be emperor. And it's very conceivable that Jesus, as a young teen in Nazareth, would have witnessed a runner come to his town and say, I've got good news. I've got the euangelion. Tiberius Caesar is now emperor of Rome. So when Jesus comes of age and begins his public ministry, it's no accident that he uses the word euangelion or gospel to describe this new reality. Can you see the double the powerful double meaning there of him grabbing on this word that meant so much to the Israelites, meaning when God would come and dwell among them and reign and sort of sticking it to Caesar. Like, I mean, what does it mean if Jesus is saying that he's king? It's meaning that Tiberius isn't over him. That's, that's an amazing, I mean, he did die on a Roman cross. Like they did not like his messages, right? Um, that stuff that will get you killed. So the actual euangelion or good news that Jesus proclaimed was that the time was fulfilled and the kingdom or the reign of God is at hand or had come near. And we need to be careful, I think, to hold these two meanings of euangelion together in their original meaning because when a new king is announced in the world, it's not just information. Like we're pretty used in 21st century Bellingham to like, we, we see all sorts of crazy news threads and people's opinions on social media. And we're very like coy as a people. Like, eh, I don't know if I believe that or not. I don't care that 14 scientists said this. Like it, there's one over here that says something different. And so I'm just gonna make up my mind. And we sort of play like that with, with facts and, and, and information. And it all gets kind of soupy. But you gotta, you gotta think like when a king was announced in the first century, uh, it's not just like, 
uh, take it or leave it sort of announcement. It's, it's news. It's like a fact. It's not advice. It's not like a suggestion. Well, you could worship Tiberius if you want. It's like, no, you've got to change your whole, you better knock that statue down of Augustus or make Tiberius bigger because now you're going to be bowing the knee to him. And if you don't, there's going to be consequences. Like it's not just whatever you want. And when the heralds of, of Caesar rode into town declaring the Evangelion, they were not asking whether or not people believed in Caesar, right? They, it's literally like just news. It's like, this is the reality. Um, it, it, it just was. And you either changed your life and allegiance or you, know, you paid the consequences, right? So what Jesus is saying um, is that the world as we know it has changed. The kingdom of God, the reign of God is breaking in and Jesus is coming in with not just an opinion but with a reality. What does it mean that the the kingdom or the reign of God has come near? Um, You know, Hebrew and Greek definitions, all this stuff, even a good little bit of historical context, that's all helpful, but it feels really heady to me. Like, how does that trickle down to how we live our lives. That's what I wanna talk about now because I think that's what sermons are for. Uh, So thankfully, Jesus does a lot more in his life than just announce the kingdom of God is at hand or the reign of God has come near and then he, I mean, we have a lot more and we watched how he lived because you gotta think about this. Jesus was, when he was incarnate, before he was resurrected, he was a, he was a dude, like he was a man, like he, he's here, that means he can't be over there. He's in Bellingham, he can't be in Seattle at the same time, like he's here. And wherever he was, it was like a little microcosm of the reign of God. And so what you see is four main markers of what it means when the reign of God has come near. And I'm gonna talk about them briefly, so if you're a note taker, here's the first one, uh, the marker of healing. Healing is a sign of the reign of God. In all four Gospels, and even as different as John is from the other three, you see lots and lots of healing. He heals lepers, and he opens blind eyes and unstops deaf ears, and he makes mute mouths loose again and and able to work. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He animates paralyzed people. Jesus cares about broken bodies, and he brings healing. And he also recognizes Healing uh, is needed in emotional brokenness and in broken spirits. Um, Think of Zacchaeus. He was this tax collector who lived a life of treachery in exchange for a life of wealth. And so he betrayed his own countrymen, which means nobody liked Zacchaeus. But he was having caviar and, and fine wine at his house. He just didn't have anyone to eat with him because nobody liked him. He was a broken man who was living the result of all of these many decisions. And Jesus comes into Zacchaeus he spies him up in the tree, says, I'm coming to your house. The most popular teacher had come to town. People were flocking. He couldn't even see the guy. And he says, I'm coming to your house, which you know what that means. Everybody else was coming to Zacchaeus's house too. And he brings healing to this man who was isolated, brings him back into community. Think of the woman at the well who was forced to live uh, in shame, cast out of her community. And Jesus engages her and transforms her life. He heals her emotionally and spiritually. 
You know, so it's no accident that for the first, that the, the first generations of Christians were known as more compassionate and caring than their Roman counterparts. In fact, one Roman uh, writer, say that fast, ten times, one Roman writer, uh, he, they, anyway, this Roman writer uh, heaps scorn on the early church because they're perceived as foolish and stupid because during this plague in the Roman Empire, Christians who were not sick with the plague would stay behind and minister to people. Sometimes, oftentimes, they would just help people die with with some dignity and, and someone at their bedside, they would not even be able to save them from the plague. And sometimes the Christians themselves developed the plague and died themselves, but it was such an outpouring work of compassion. You know, you know, it was the early monastic movement that started the whole system that we now have as hospitals. There would be no like hospitals as we know them. And if you just look closely, a lot of hospitals are, are still named after, you know, St. Joe's, St. Joseph's, right? Like, or, or Swedish hospital, um, one of the covenant hospitals in, in, in Chicago, right? So uh, this is a distinctly Christian movement, uh, the reign of God breaking into the world and doing things that, that humans had not been doing before. Where we see the healing of minds. I just look at this, I look at our church and I see nurses and dentists and I see therapists and massage therapists and dental hygienists and all kinds, I mean, the, we have a lot of healers in here. Where we see healing it is a mark of the reign of God. Okay, the second one, um, when we look at the life of Jesus, we, you can't escape the fact that the reign of God must include forgiveness because he's always doing that too. Um, so we've got healing and forgiveness. To be human is to live with regret, to battle guilt, and to oftentimes walk in shame. I don't know about you, but it's just cyclical, just like, oh, I do fine, and then I feel bad, and then I feel shame. Um, questioning, is this a thing that happens to you guys, like, I don't know, every five, six, seven years? Like, what am I doing with my life again? Am I at where I'm supposed to be? You know, it, it just, it's just all of these questions about where I fit, and in, am I just alone? No, I don't think I'm alone in that, because I talk to a lot of you. And <laughs> um, it, it's just, it's just part of being human that we just have a hard time fitting. And the need for forgiveness, it transcends what religious group you're a part of. Like that's not a distinctly Christian thing that only we talk about is the need for forgiveness. It's, it's a human thing and it transcends religion and philosophy and culture and gender and history. And it's significant, I think, that a major part of Jesus' ministry was to proclaim forgiveness of sin. When Peter, who had denied Jesus uh, publicly three different times is forgiven by Jesus. It's such a moving and powerful story. Not one of transactional debt forgiveness, but of restored relationship and new life just out of the grace of Jesus himself. When Jesus forgives the, the woman caught in adultery, how humiliating. The Bible says she was caught in the act of adultery, brought out into the public square. Everybody knows what she did who even knows what she was wearing, if much at all? There she is. I mean, in such an upside down uh, male, you don't even hear about the guy in that story. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, but like, it, here she is, just life destroyed. And Jesus forgives her. 
sends her. I mean, she, a whole new lease on life, a whole new beginning. Forgiveness is powerful. It is powerful. Part of the reign of God is the declaration that you are not the sum of your sins and your bad choices, but through Jesus, you can be forgiven and made new. And that's a daily adventure for me. And I look forward to Sunday because I get to hang out with you, but also because of that table over there and participating in that sacrament, just reminding me of that good news of ingesting the life of Christ. I need that on a regular basis. That's why we gather and do this. So, um, and it gets even better, the forgiveness piece. I mean, Jesus, there's a lot of stories of him forgiving individuals, but he doesn't only talk about forgiveness of individuals, right? Remember he tells us to turn the other cheek and to take the log out of our own eye before we start judging somebody else, right? Taking the speck out of our brother or sister's eye, right? And, And Jesus was consistent in warning us that meeting violence with violence, like those who live by the sword die by the sword. So this is a a societal type of forgiveness he's talking about. It's not just my own personal forgiveness, but I'm called to also extend forgiveness and grace to other people. Um, When we experience forgiveness and extend forgiveness, we are seeing the reign of God breaking into our time and space because that is not a natural human impulse, I think. Um, If you are a... uh, um, a tribal society, you know, and, and uh, it, it actually protects your, protects your group to like, hey, we're in it for, for us and like we're gonna keep the, everybody else at arm's length. We're gonna guard our own resources. We're gonna push uh, you out over there. Forgiveness isn't something that just comes natural. Uh, this is a sign of the inbreaking reign of God. Covenant minister Andy Larson has spent much of his adult life working for peace and reconciliation between Christians and Jews and Muslims. He does that work stateside, but also he spends significant time in Palestine, in Israel, and in those areas. Um, And and while we see the anti-reign of God in the bloody violence between Israel and Hamas now up I think the body counts over 20,000 people, largely civilians, and 9,000, I believe, are children. It's horrifying. And you can see that's the anti-reign of God going on, just this horrible destruction. But then we can also see people like Andy who are working with people um, to extend forgiveness and reconciliation taking place not just between individuals but groups of people, Palestinian Christians who have been there for 500 years and uh, Muslim neighbors and Jewish neighbors coming together and doing what seems impossible. And there's communities of this happening. This is signs of the reign of God breaking in. The third aspect of the reign of God breaking in in Jesus' ministry, so we've got healing and forgiveness. The third one is celebration, or to put it more colloquially, parties. Uh, The reign of God involves parties. Jesus was frequently at dinner parties where he would feast and drink with people. Um, It's at parties where relationships are built and maintained in a way that they simply can't at work or in a crisis or in the mundaneness of everyday life. The reign of God includes parties because life is worth celebrating. And so often we've turned life into something to just get through 
or to punch the clock so many times so that we can save enough to do what we really want to do, right? Uh, but, but life is worth celebrating. Those threshold moments of birthdays and anniversaries and uh, special events, uh, harvest and, 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 and planting, and oh, it's so, it's so amazing, right? Um, some celebrations are cultural, and so each culture has their own like list of celebrations, and some are religious, right? So I love this season in because I've got three kids at home, at least for the rest of this year. Uh, I, I love this season and the age and the life of our family where we host our extended family for Christmas dinner. Uh, we host uh, for Easter brunch. I love the extravagance of the food and the wine that we choose. I love that the kids get to choose their own sweet thing that I like to eat or the various you know how many flavors they have of sparkling cider these days? Anyway, they want to try them all. So I'm fine, it's Christmas. That's what it's for. Like, let's do it. It's Easter. Let's celebrate. Why? Because Christ has been born. Why? Because Christ is risen. And uh, as an Enneagram one, I do not celebrate well. So it is a, a significant thing for me that in like Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, that celebration is a discipline. <laughs> I'm learning to, to lean into that, um, to to see parties and celebration as something holy and good. You know, those are religious examples, but also just things like hosting the 4th of July block party or like a chili cook-off or uh, any of the number of things that, that um, you guys host sometimes, like game nights and, and things like that. It's just, these are worth celebrating. They mix people, they build relationships and extend hospitality to the community. So in the Gospels, we see Jesus embodying the reign of God through healing and forgiving and partying. And fourth, we see the reign of God in the life of Jesus through the creation of new family. Human survival, like for most of human history, has played out in tribalism and factions. We see it today in our political parties, national boundaries, ethnic and cultural silos where we're more comfortable with our own type of people, less comfortable with others. Um, but the family of God, in the family of God, we're invited into a new way of relating to each other. Um, it's no surprise that 90% of the agencies approved by the U.S. government to work with um, resettlement work of refugees are Christian or Jewish Two groups whose faith are fundamentally rooted in a God who takes a people without a place to belong, people in bondage, and provides an exodus not only to a new place, but as part of a new community. The reign of God melts divisions set up by human institutions and, and brings diverse groups of people together around Jesus. He's the common denominator. In the Gospels, Jesus brings people together who would have no chance of forming a community without him. Even in his own group of 12 disciples, he's gathered together a tax collector, basically a traitor, um, and a zealot who is basically a, a radical revolutionary who outside of Jesus would have liked to kill the tax collector. You've also got this guy, Philip, who is a, uh, has a Greek name, so he's from a different community altogether, and th th this is just three examples of that community coming um, uh, under Jesus, building a new family. He's got blue-collar fishermen from Galilee, and of course, Philip with the Greek name uh, coming together, those oil and water mixing with Jesus. 
And so whenever we see the family of God at its best, breaking down ethnic and political and national division under the name of Jesus, wherever we see that happening, you know, it's like through the rite of baptism and around a common table, there's a piece of the reign of God, evidence of the reign of God breaking in. And we just, we just thanked our hospitality ministry team too. That's helps make a space for the family to gather. So we've got healing and forgiveness, celebrations and new family. These are the markers of the reign of God. And you know, sometimes, oftentimes, we live in this broken world, it can cloud our vision of the reign of God around us, right? And we can believe the lie that things are mostly bad, and mostly hard, and it's, I think, part of the role of the church, not only to reflect the reign of God for other people and to live in such a way where they are experiencing healing and forgiveness and a good party and a new family, but also we exist as the church for each other as well, to remind each other of, hey, look at this awesome, beautiful thing I saw the other day evidence of the reign of God breaking in. And you might just need to hear that because you might be in a dark place or I might be in a dark place and I need to hear some pick-me-up good news about the reign of God breaking in in your life. And I thought it would be good if we take just a couple minutes to turn to our neighbors and just share one way that you've seen evidence of the reign of God breaking in in the last couple weeks. Could be an element of healing for yourself or someone else. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be the kind of healing where someone prays and it's like a miracle. It can be like someone went to the doctor. Doctors are healers. Somebody, you know, God, I know Sophia's downstairs, but like rehabbing her knee in physical therapy. That's pretty rad. I'm really thankful for her PT that's helping her do that. So um, it can be some evidence of, of healing, forgiveness, a party that, was, that showed you beauty or... Um, you know, the hospitality of God, or it could be something having to do with the new family of God. Um, I'm gonna also just tell you this. I'm not gonna make anybody share anything out loud. I'm not even gonna ask for it, so I just hope your anxiety goes down. That microphone's staying over there. And um, just take a moment, just turn to someone and, and, and share some uplifting element. Okay, go. It's good to hear uh, so much discussion. It means, I hope, I hope it means that we're talking about the reign of God. Um, I was just encouraged talking to John and Lois and hearing how uh, God is doing some things in their life, and I got to share some things in mine. So uh, I, I know that this happens. You, you do this sometimes if you're in a small group or, you know, you, you hang around each other, but it, what did that take? Three, four minutes, and it's so encouraging when we do it with intentionality and it's just one of the, the joys of being part of a community that follows Jesus. So thank you for taking the time to share with each other. Um, it's such a healthy thing to recognize the reign of God and to name for each other the places where we experience God breaking in because it's easy to lose sight of it, especially if things are not going well for you in a season. Um, Jesus declared that the reign of God had come near, that the time was fulfilled, but the reign of God wasn't fully realized yet. 
it's kind of like when in February it's gonna come around and you're gonna start to see cherry blossoms, right? Or in early March, the daffodils start to pop up, right? And it's signs of spring and it's a certainty, well, barring some kind of crazy thing, but like it's certainty that spring is coming. Like the, the signs of spring are there, it's, it's on its way. You know that in a few months, spring will be here. Uh, the time is fulfilled, like it's, it's coming. Um, but it's not fully realized yet for some several weeks since we see the blossoms and the daffodils, right? Is there still chance of another good, good snow? I remember uh, an occasional snow in early April around here. Um, it's winter still got its claws in the transition from winter uh, to spring. And that's commonly what's known in church circles as the now and not yet nature of God's reign or God's kingdom where we see the good work of reconciliation among people, we're witnessing the now of God's reign. But wars remind us that God's reign is not fully realized yet. It's not fully present yet, right? Life is full of those tensions. Um, We can experience such incredible beauty and joy and intimacy and love, all reign of God attributes, but at the same time, our relationships can, can break our hearts. Illnesses, sudden death shatter us. Injustice that we endure or witness other people enduring is so discouraging. And they're bleak reminders that God's kingdom is not yet fully consummated, right? It's now and it's not yet at the same time, and there's a transitory nature to human life. Um, And yet, the good news of the inbreaking kingdom means that life is a worthy investment. It's a worthy investment. Uh, The reign of God is breaking in now, through healing and forgiveness and celebration and new family, but it's also something we long for. And we see this, the future reign of God embodied in Jesus as well. So just like in Jesus's life, we saw the healing and forgiveness and parties and new family, so we also see these three things. Uh, these will be my last three, so the note takers, here we go. Uh, resurrection, new creation, and reconciliation, resurrection, new creation, and reconciliation. Jesus came announcing God's reign and they killed him for it. But then something happened that the people didn't expect. Jesus rose from the dead, not merely as he was before, but in a glorified body. Jesus' resurrected body is physical, but it can also phase in and out of space. One story, his resurrected self passes through a locked door. He, one time he was walking with the dudes from the road to Emmaus. I think it was a man and a woman, actually, if that's my theory. Uh, anyway, and then he like, disappears and teleports and is in another part of, of uh, Palestine. And so this resurrected body is, is different from yours and mine. And it's a forecast, it's a prototype of what is promised to us who place our faith in him that one day we will receive resurrected bodies. 
And you know what that means? If you have a resurrected body, you need a place to dwell. Like you need a place to live. Um, And that's why the scriptures speak of a new creation. Not us being disembodied like a ghost going somewhere to heaven or something, um, but God's kingdom coming to earth. That's the message. And and this new creation, uh, there's a... In this new creation that's described in uh, like the end of the prophet Isaiah, in those in chapters in the late, in the 60s there in, in Isaiah, or in Revelation, or in other uh, gospel texts of Jesus, what's, what's described there is not just a new creation with new bodies. Because you know what? I think it's kind of a grace Hear me, hear me out. I think it's kind of a grace that we have finite lives. Because if me, like, I'm a screwed up person. I, it would be sort of a living hell for me to live forever. And our world, like, it's not, I don't really believe, like, it's getting better and better. I, I'm not one of those people that's like, it's getting worse and worse. It's just like, it just, it, like, it's, you read history, it's bad and then, it's different bad, and then it's different bad. <laughs> it's like, I'm not so sure I want to live forever in the way that the world is right now, right? So new creation means resurrected bodies that don't get sick, or hearts that work correctly, and minds that work correctly, and willpower that works correctly. Ooh, I like that idea. And then, and then a new creation where it's not so different from what it is now, but there's no corruption, there's no death, and decay, you know, ooh, that sounds good, but it's missing something. And what is missing is reconciliation. And what I mean by that, that's different from forgiveness. What I mean by that is the promise of Jesus taking all of our broken storylines and mistakes that we've made in the past and all of those deep regrets, because if you're gonna live forever, forever you're gonna remember those things. And, and the promise of reconciliation in the new creation is that somehow, in his infinite wisdom, Jesus takes those things and makes something more beautiful out of them. And there's real, not just for, forgiveness is great. Like, I'm, I'm glad I can be forgiven, but I still remember all that crap. And it still hurts me. And so someday that promise of seeing even those dark things being woven into something more beautiful, that is a vision I can get behind. That's what, that's what the promise is. Whew, that's good news. And, and, and so... Yeah, um, (laughs) in the midst of a broken world, when we experience tragedy and forces outside of our control, we can remind each other that there is more yet to come, that there's good news in the form of resurrection and new creation and reconciliation. And I wanna close this time, similar to what we just did in talking to each other, I wanna encourage us to, to turn to our neighbor and to share some kingdom longings you have. We just shared some examples of where we saw the reign of God breaking in in life. But you know, there's just some things that, that are so broken that we can only long for a future hope, right? And, and so what are some of those longings? Maybe it's a, a, a hurt relationship that you just don't see turning around. Maybe someone passed away and you never reconciled. Maybe uh, it, it, it's an illness thing that, or, or a chronic thing, or, or maybe it's on the world, like what is going on in the Middle East right now? What is going, you know, whatever, is, whatever it is, like these God-sized longings, 
Maybe just express it. And let me even just give you this safety. Don't try and explain it. And if, if you, if, let's practice listening to each other without offering any advice. Okay? So I'm just going to give us a couple minutes and just share what's, what's, what are some of those deep longings. And then if you're listening, receive it. And if you're comfortable, share something back. And then I'll close this in prayer. Does that sound okay? One of my um, goals with School of Prayer on Mondays is just to learn and learn together about new ways of, of praying and relating to God. And it seems to me like what we were just doing and sharing and listening, we were doing that in the presence of God. And so um, it's my understanding that those shared longings are, are shared in the presence of God, that he's heard those things and receives them, and that those are, those are prayers from us. So God, we thank you for, uh, for listening to us, for being here with us, for showing us earlier um, signs of your rain breaking in and encouraging us. Thank you also for listening to those deep cries of our hearts that are hard to imagine any kind of resolution in this life. Just long for that resurrection and new creation and the reconciling of all things. Lord, help us to hope beyond hope for for that day and give us the courage to live now in ways that the world might even see as foolish because we know that this is not the end. Thank you. Amen.